the culture starts with you. If you're not happy with the culture of the organization, if you feel like there, you know, as an example, if you feel like there's not enough trust within the organization, but when you look in the mirror, you say, well, I will, I'll trust people when they earn my trust. You're part of the problem. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I want to have conversations with real people and hear real stories about how love and business can come together. Mike Goldman is joining me today. Mike is a leadership team coach and the best-selling author of two books, Breakthrough Leadership Team and Performance Breakthrough. He spends his time speaking internationally to groups of business leaders, such as the Young Presidents Organization and the Entrepreneurs Organization. And during his 30-plus year coaching and consulting career, he has worked with clients that include Disney, Verizon, Chanel, and Polo Ralph Lauren. His insights have been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Chief Executive Magazine. Is widely regarded by CEOs as the expert on building great leadership teams. So I'm really excited and honored to have you on the show today. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great, Jeff. Great to be on the show. Awesome, awesome. And I, I just listed a, an incredible resume of things that you've done but I want to roll backwards from there. I want to go back in time and, and I want to know kind of what you consider to be your, your starting point. Like where did this, this road that you're on, this path that you've been on, where did that start? How did that start? Started back in a log cabin in the Midwest. No, it was uh, back in 1987. That's how old I am. Back in 1987, I got my first job out of college and it, it, my life, my business life started out as a management consultant, working with uh, a company now known as Accenture, mm-hmm. although they were Arthur Anderson way back when, um, worked with two big consulting firms. The first half of my career was consulting to Fortune 500 companies, some of the impressive companies that, that you listed uh, in my intro. But from there, two things happen. One is the travel in doing that really got to me. I spent three and a half years back in the late 90s, early 2000s, three and a half years traveling from New Jersey to California, where I worked with uh, Levi's in San Francisco, Disney's retail operation outside of LA. Um, Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, every week, I was on the West Coast with two small kids at home, Mm. one of them with special needs, wife working full time. So I finally had enough of that and decided I was going to start my own business. I'd never done that before. Uh, You think as a consultant, I must know what I'm doing to start my own business. I had no clue. I was working with Fortune 500s on specific projects. I had no idea how to run a small business. So my first uh, business, no shock, staffing and recruiting firm, no shock was a total failure over three years, but uh, that was my MBA 
in small business. So I mm-hmm. learned a ton of what not to do. Sure. And maybe a few things of what to do, but mostly what not to do. And from there, decided to get back to my consulting roots, but become more of a coach, which is very different in my mind. And also start working with small and mid-market companies where I could have a real impact versus the Fortune 500, which I never viewed as being much fun to work with. So uh, have had the coaching business for 15 years now, but but that's how I got here. Amazing. And I know you have a term breakthrough leadership team, which I want to dive into. Um, but can you talk a little bit about your passion around that? So before we dive into the actual, what is a breakthrough leadership team? Like what in that journey kind of got you into this, this, this passion that you have? Yeah, my passion is it's much bigger, as you can imagine, than breakthrough leadership team. And I'll, sure. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that. But my passion is really learning and then sharing that learning with others. I re- I'm usually reading two or three books at a time, maybe one on Audible. I'm reading a, you know, a couple a fun book and then another book. And I just, you know, when I back when I was in school, all, all I wanted to do was get out of going to class and didn't want to study and and you know, did well, but never, never gave a rip about learning. I just wanted to graduate. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm not sure when I really started loving learning. So for me, coaching is such a great way for me to, to, to exercise that muscle and constantly be reading and learning new things and figuring out how I take those things and share them with my clients, use them in my own business, but also share them with my clients. That over and above anything else is, is my passion, learning and then sharing that. I love that. And I, I relate so much to you. I feel like I'm on a similar path in my life as well, where um, learning has bec- it's just every year that passes, I, I find myself hungry and hungry for learning. So I get really excited to get to talk to folks like you because this is always an opportunity. I love that. So let me dive into, I guess, your philosophy, if you will, then, um, whether it's breakthrough leadership team or, or what, what else, um, what, what is, what is your, your coaching and leadership, like strategy, I guess. Yeah. And, and this, it it all kind of came together in a different way really over the last few years, I would always talk to you about generic stuff like, oh, my philosophy is, you know, or, or my my purpose is I go in and help companies grow. And here's the dozen ways that, that I do that. And, you know, literally one morning I woke up and, and it hit me that, yes, I help companies grow, but my real philosophy is if you want to be a great company, you've got to have a great leadership team. And that's what I do in in my coaching. I call myself a a leadership team coach. And I wrote, as you said, my last book was called Breakthrough Leadership Team. My philosophy is that, you know, as the leadership team goes, so goes your company, Uh, you know, from top down and bottom up. If you've got a problem somewhere in the company, you can probably find the root cause of it at a leadership team level. And, and I've learned that from the, God, I'm almost 35 years now of, of coaching, consulting, having my own businesses. What I've learned is you can, you can say, oh, we, we've got to fix our sales process. 
or we've got to fix our, our cash controls or whatever it is you could, to me, that's like trying to help a tree grow by, by watering the branches of the tree. Mm. That's not going to work real well. You got to get to the roots. And to me, that leadership team uh, is, is like the, the root of the tree. And, and there are six kind of pillars or, or six roots, you could say, that I think leadership team, teams need to, to build a strong company, to build a strong team. But that's the philosophy. It's not about going in and fixing a dozen processes. It's about creating the strongest leadership team we can create. And I know from there, the right things are going to happen. Mm, I couldn't agree more. What, by your definition, uh, is the, the the key difference between a great leadership team and a mediocre one? Well, if we think about it at a company level, I believe there are three things. There are three things that I use to measure whether a company is a great company. And then I, I can talk a little bit more detail about whether a team is a is a great team. But from at a company level. It's certainly about dollars, you know, and 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 I say that first, not because it's most important, but it's what people most often think of. Absolutely. If you don't have consistent top and bottom line growth, you don't I don't think you have a great company. And, and it's hard to sustain a great company, because if you don't have profitability, if you don't have cash flow, you're not going to be able to afford to 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 attract and keep the right people. You're not going to keep them interested by doing new and great things and investing in the business. So it certainly is top and bottom line growth. Number two, and no less important, is a company that has created a growing, fulfilling environment hmm. for their employees. I talk to prospective clients all the time who want to build a big company so they can get a bigger boat or a bigger house. And they want to do that on the backs of their employees. And those are phone calls I end pretty quickly because those are not the folks that I want to work with. So number one, it's about top and bottom line growth. Number two, it's a growing, fulfilling environment. And number three, it's about having a real uh, impact, adding real value to society whatever society means for you. Society could mean your employees. Society could mean your clients, your vendors, or society could mean your city, your town. You know, it could mean the world. So I think a great company has got to do all those things. And then from a, a leadership team standpoint, there are, there are six things I think a leadership team needs to, to master. And I'll run through them, Jeff, really quick, and then we can dive sure. into you, whatever, whatever you want to dive into. But Number one, to be part of a great leadership team, to have the ability to be a great leader, you've got to master self-leadership. So the number one pillar of a great leadership team is the individual members on the team have to be working every single day on mastering self-leadership. Hmm. Number two, it's about finding the right people. You know, how do you go out and find folks that are a fit with your organization that will perform as a players within your organization. So number one, mastering self-leadership. Number two, finding the right people. Number three, proactively structuring the team. It's not just about getting a bunch of great people. It's understanding for your business, 
for the goals within your business, for where you are in the business? How does that team need to be structured? What are the functions? Who's accountable for those functions? So there's, there's structuring, uh, proactively structuring the team is number three. Number four is about building a resilient culture on the team. Number five is about executing with discipline on the team, executing with very little drama, holding each other accountable. And number six, the last pillar is developing and improving the team. And that's all about knowing how to assess your talent, coach your talent, develop your talent. And there are times when you need to cut the cord on folks that don't fit. All six of these make a lot of sense to me. And I want more of all of them. Uh, based on fitting into, the, fitting into the podcast, though, I'm going to pick one to start because it stood out to me, which is building resilient culture. And obviously, I bring it up because we talk about culture quite a bit here. And all of these contribute to culture, to be honest. But um, this one, this word resilience is one that is near and dear to my heart. I'd love to hear you dive a little deeper on this particular pillar. So when I talk about building a resilient culture, it, it's about three V's. And I think this is where, Jeff, to your point, we, we get into the theme of love here as well. Um, so the three V's are values, vision, and vulnerability. So let me dive a little deeper on that. So every company has a set of core values. That's the first V. Now, I don't care whether you have a beautiful poster or, or on your website, you, you've got a beautiful set of values. Values are the non-negotiable behaviors that are really the anchor to your culture. Now, some companies proactively identify what's best, what's right, what's most noble about their organization and say, these are the three to five core values, non-negotiable behaviors. Some are not proactive about it. Some never define them, but they evolve. And if you're not careful, they might evolve into things like whoever yells the loudest wins, might be mm -hmm. a non-negotiable behavior in your organization. But it starts with non-negotiable behaviors. It starts with those core values. That's the first V. The second V is vision. Vision is, you know, you could have values, but if you don't have vision, you're not being propelled anywhere. And I think your culture ought to be propelling you somewhere as well. So vision is about the long-term, almost never changing parts of your vision. Like what's your purpose as an organization? What's your 10 to 15 year, you know, I'll use a Jim Collins term here. What's your 10 to 15 year, big, hairy, audacious goal? What's your three-year vision for the organization? You're, the, the folks on your leadership team not only need to understand the vision, they need to be evangelists of that vision. And then the third V is vulnerability. And vulnerability is all about trust, but not task-based trust. Not necessarily, I trust, Jeff, when you say you're going to have this done on Wednesday, you're going to have it done on Wednesday. That's important trust. But what I really mean by trust within this third V of vulnerability is that vulnerability-based trust, which says, I could say the difficult thing to you. I could give you feedback. I could 
receive feedback from you. And I know you're coming from positive intent. I know you're coming from love of the organization, love of our team, uh, love for me as a team member. Uh, it, it, it says that, that I'm willing to say the hard thing and hear the hard thing and, and get through whatever we need to get through. And I do a number of exercises with my clients to help them build that over time. But when I say resilient culture, those are the three things that are most important, the values, the vision, and that vulnerability. Well said. I am um, loving the way you structure this. Um, things that I believe wholeheartedly in, and I love how you've positioned them. Um, you, drawing from my experience of working with, with organizations and teams and leaders, um, everything you said is a challenge for many organizations, uh, uh, many individuals, much less organizations. But, um, you know, when it comes to that, what you see more often with these three V's is that um, a company will have a vision laid out, especially large organizations, right? They'll have a vision laid out in words, um, and then they'll have values laid out in words. Um, and then there's what people actually experience and see within the walls, um, which is, in other words, the, the, the hidden layer of values and visions. So in other words, the true vision and values of the people who experience that workplace. And that uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, you mentioned you do some exercises around vulnerability. You can share or not share those, but I'm curious, my question is really around what is your approach to breaking down these three V's, especially vulnerability, so that um, especially in these organizations that have existed for, for decades in a way that um, really looked down upon vulnerability or looked at vulnerability as a weakness and something that should not be in the workplace, how do you reposition that for people? How, what are these exercises you're doing to help um, expose that side in leadership? Yeah, it's a great question. And I will tell you, and I'm actually going to hit on values first, but keep Please. me honest to get back to, to vulnerability I yeah. if, if I forget. But for the first half or so of my career, I thought the idea of core values was corporate BS that came from books or smart consultants and companies kind of ticked it off the list. Yep, got our core values done. We've got the big plaque down in the lobby that's got our core values. And it's meaningless. It's, it's a marketing tool at best to say, here's how wonderful we are and we care about values, but they're meaningless. And that's the way it is for most companies. Mm -hmm. The approach that I take, well, I'll tell you, you know, quick story is I had one new client I was working with a number of years ago when I started talking about core values and the, 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 the one of their VPs, and it was a leadership team of, of five people. One of their VPs said, oh, we could save some time. We've got those. She ran out of the room, grabbed the framed plaque with their core values and said, we've got these. We don't have to talk about them. I said, that's great. I said, let me see that. I took it, put it against the wall, words facing the wall. I asked the, the five key leaders of the company, three of them were owners. I said, okay, tell me what your core values are. Uh, I think there's one about collaborate. I think they didn't know what they were. Yeah. So I said, we're working on it. So, so 
you've got to make it real for them. And one of the ways I make that, a couple of ways I make values real is I have three tests of a core value. If they tell me, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, respect is one of our core values or, you know, or collaboration is one of our core values where I have one client, a marketing firm say creativity was a core value. I said, okay, let's go through the three tests. First test of a core value is are you committed to firing anyone who repeatedly and blatantly violates that core value? Remember, they're non-negotiable. And they said, well, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, let me test that. I said, you've got someone who's a kick-ass member of your accounts payable team, but they're not incredibly creative. Are you firing them? No. Then it's not a core value, right? They say, someone says respect. I say, great. I love that. I love respect for other people. That's beautiful. Um, your number one salesperson who's bringing in 60% of your revenue treats everybody else like dog shit, but they're bringing in 60% of revenue. They don't mm. respect anybody. Are you firing them? Well, no, not if they're bringing in that kind of revenue, then it's not a core value. Mm-hmm. So the first test is, is it a fireable offense? Second test is, are you willing to take a financial hit to uphold that core value? And the third test is, is it alive in the organization today? Because if it's aspirational, it can't be non-negotiable. True. So, so those three tests of values make it real for folks. I also, when I help my, I help my clients assess their talent who's performing as an A, performing as a B, performing as a C, and what we call performing as a toxic C, whether someone is living the core values is just important, in fact, slightly more important than their productivity. So those things make values real. That's on the value side. Skipping over to vulnerability, one of the exercises, I do a number of exercises with my teams. One of the exercises I love Uh, I call the peer accountability exercise. Peer accountability exercise is I get the whole team sitting around in a circle and starting with the CEO, each member of the team gives and use the CEO as an example. Each member of the team goes around a circle and says, here's something you do that really helps the team. And I want to thank you for it. I hope you keep doing it around the circle Next time around the circle, here's something you do that really hurts the team and I wish you'd work on it or I wish you'd fix it or stop doing it. Starting with the CEO, everybody on the team gets that feedback from everyone else. When I first introduced that exercise, the teams all get green. It looks like they're going to be sick because they're scared to share that stuff. They're scared to, to find out that stuff is is well from others. And once they share it, they realize it's not as hard as they thought. They realize that uh, they got a ton of value. They commit to what they're going to change based on it. And they start to kind of build their muscles where they start to do that. Not only when I come in and say, okay, we're going to do the peer accountability exercise. They start to get more comfortable about giving and receiving feedback every day. And that, that to me is the most important way to build that 
vulnerability-based trust is to be able to give and receive that feedback and know it's coming from a good place. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, I think a lot of people who are listening to this probably, and I know they are because I talk to them too, um, they hear this and it, and it sounds great. It sounds amazing. Um, but oftentimes they struggle applying it or, or picturing themselves in it because the workplaces that they know or that many of us know are already in, in such a different state. Their leaders are seemingly immovable objects when it comes to these types of things. What do you have for them in terms of hope or, or no hope um, around what, what should they expect? What can they do? And what, what is, what is going to make a difference here for, for the everyday person who's basically under the oppressive rule, let's say, of, of culture that isn't practicing this and has no desire to change? No shock. The, the answer is going to depend on, to some degree, on where you are in the organization, sure. right? If you are a leader within the organization, and that, when I say a leader, it could be someone on that executive team, or it could be someone maybe down in the organization, but you are a leader of others. I would say, you know, the, the culture starts with you. If you're not happy with the culture of the organization, if you feel like there, you know, as an example, if you feel like there's not enough trust within the organization, but when you look in the mirror, you say, well, I will, I'll trust people when they earn my trust. You're part of the problem, right? If you're, I tell leaders, I work with, excuse me, I work with executive teams and when someone new comes on to the executive team, people say, well, I'll, you know, that person needs to earn my trust. That's garbage. They're on your team. You need to trust them. They're part of your number one team right now. You need to be loyal to them. You need to work with them. You need to assume trust to begin with. Don't wait until, until, until they earn it. So number one, if, if you're someone... At a, at a leadership level somewhere, and you have a problem with the culture, look in the mirror first because the culture is made up of you and every, you know, focus on what you can control. So that's number one. Um, if you're down lower in the organization, where at least your perspective is that you don't have the power to change things, I would say number one, you have a lot more power than you think. And again, even if you're not a quote unquote leader within the organization, it starts with you. It starts with you looking in the mirror, but then I'll get pragmatic, right? If you're in an organization of 5,000 people and your employee number, you know, 4,998, you know, you're at a junior level and, and, you know, you're not leading the team and you're realizing, man, the culture is just not something you're comfortable with then it probably makes sense for you to start looking around to find the right place. It doesn't, you know, it, it's kind of the opposite of what I tell leaders when they, when they have someone on their team that is not living the culture, not living the core values. What I say to them is if you've got someone not living the core values, that doesn't make them bad people. It just makes them a bad fit for your organization, they could probably go somewhere else, almost definitely go somewhere else 
and be an A player over there. They're just not a fit for what, what your organization's all about. Man, set them free to go be an A player somewhere else. And it's the same thing if you're just a team member and you feel like you don't have that much control. If you're not happy with the culture of that company, if it doesn't, doesn't fit who you are, that doesn't mean it's a bad company. That may or may not mean it's a bad culture. But if it's not the right fit for you, then you may have to make a different decision. You may have to find someplace that is a better fit for you. But I always think the first thing you do is look in the mirror. You start living the culture that mm. you want to see in the organization. You know, be be the change you want to see. Who said that? That's a quote from somebody. Mm -hmm. I didn't make that up. But be the change that you want to see in that organization. That That's the first step. It's actually Gandhi. Was it? I knew so it was. Be, I knew it was somebody the, a little smarter yeah. than I was. <laughs> It'd be the change you want to see in the world for sure. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I feel like um, you're you're inspiring me all over again with, with all the things that I already believed in. So this is amazing, amazing stuff. I I, I brought this. <laughs> I brought this up early on, but the term breakthrough leadership team is that a team that basically practices these six things or is there some other element to it that makes it a specifically proper noun breakthrough leadership it, it's a team that that it's a combination of, of the two things i mentioned earlier it's a team that is practicing these these six things not necessarily at a perfect level in fact not at a perfect level because you never get there mm -hmm. and it's all you're well i'm, I'm getting really good at you know, finding the right people, but we've got some problems, you know, over on the execution side, we've gotten great at execution, but man, our culture needs some work. You're always going to be working on that. So a breakthrough leadership team to me is, is a team that is working day in and day out to, 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 to reach their, uh, uh, you know, to, to reach their potential in all six of those areas. And it's also a team that, has built a great company, those three things, a company with top and bottom line growth, growing, fulfilling work environment, and they're having adding real value, having real impact on society. Got it. I think um, when I hear all these things that um, make up, you know, like you said, not a perfect team, but essentially the ideal state to have as a leadership team, um, it's, it, it can be lofty. And I, I go back to this frequently where it's, um, it's because of my experience. Maybe I'm a little jaded, <laughs> but when we, when we, when we work with folks, it's just, it's just, um, a lot for people to make this much change. It takes a lot of time. And especially depending on where you come from, where your starting point is, some of it is drastic. Like you mentioned, personal change. It's a lot of of introspection and mindset shifting and unlearning a lot of things that you've you've known the only way to be for decades. Um, what is your approach specifically to those individuals? How do you break through those fixed mindsets? All of this needs to start with that first pillar, which is mastering self-leadership. And, and I'll pick two things in particular that I coach on in those areas that I think Jeff hit, hit your question, which is number one, you need to focus on those things you can control. 
call it the locus of control. There's an, you could have an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. An external locus of control says the world is happening to me. Mm-hmm. You say things like, you know, how come my people, you know, never understand or why, why are our clients so unforgiving? Everything is a problem out there. You know, the economy, uh, we, we can't do this because of the economy. It's out there. As long as the problem's out there, you're not solving it. An internal locus of control turns that around and says, what am I in control of? Instead of saying, why are our customers so unforgiving every time we have a, a problem, uh, you turn that into a question like, what can we do to build stronger relationships with our clients? Instead of, why doesn't my team seem to care about our results as much as I do? Turn that into a question, which is, how, how, can, I, how can I, you know, uh, uh, communicate with my employees so they feel more ownership? You know, how do I inspire them to feel more ownership? So number one, it's, it's about saying, I can't focus on the world of things. I've got to focus on what I can control. And then the other kind of switch in focus, I call them focus switches, that I have people make is, is a focus switch from believing in the negative intent of others, which I do all the time. I coach mm-hmm. on it, mm-hmm. but all the time someone cuts me off on the highway. I think they're just a maniac knowing they're doing something dangerous, but they do it anyway. Um, to shifting that focus to saying, let, let's, let's assume that everybody's doing the best they can with the resources they have. Yeah. doesn't mean everybody's doing the right thing. They may not have the resources you have. They may not have the information you have. Or maybe they know something you don't know. But if we assume positive intent of the, of, of, uh, from other people, instead of getting angry, we get curious. We ask really empowering questions. We build relationships instead of tearing them down. So I think it all starts with self-leadership. Because to your point, Jeff, this could all feel really overwhelming. But... What I've learned is overwhelm is not a time management problem. Overwhelm is a focus problem. And when you master self-leadership, you learn to master your focus and say things like, there there are 157 problems out there. What's the next most important thing I need to do? Because if I try and focus on 157, my head's going to explode. And I'm going to feel like I'm getting nowhere. What's the next most important thing I need to do? There also needs to be an understanding that you're not going to solve the problems of the world in a month or in three months or ever. It's a journey. It's a never ending process. And if you've got the right people around you, if you've got the right culture around you, that journey is going to be fun. Sometimes it's going to be really hard. And you know what? Sometimes it's not going to feel like a lot of fun. But even on those days when it's not fun, if you've got the right vision, you're going to look up and go, yeah, today kind of sucked. But remember why we're doing this. We got some more important things we got to do. Let, you know, let's go get them. Let's go get them tomorrow. So all, the, the, all those pillars are important. But if it doesn't start with mastering your focus and self-leadership, you're going to be overwhelmed by all of it. And you're going to quit before you have any chance to succeed. Wisdom. Um, absolutely awesome stuff, Mike, um, out of time, but not out of questions. So maybe, maybe we'll chat again, hopefully soon at some point, but I really appreciate the time you've taken today and, and these, these, these just 
solid, solid nuggets of absolute wisdom that you've been sharing with us. Um, it's gotten me excited, like I mentioned. I'm, I've, I'm, I've been taking notes. It's actually helping me out quite a bit as well, and I hope the audience feels the same way. How can um, somebody reach you or connect with you? What's the best way if they have more to learn? Yeah, number they can go to my website at mike-goldman.com. Um, I, my YouTube channel, you can have YouTube handles now. And my handle is Mike Goldman coach. So they can connect me, with me there. They, they could also connect with me on uh, Instagram at Mike Goldman coach. And the other thing that, that I'll offer up is if, uh, if you go to Mike-Goldman.com slash limitless, there's actually a free video course all about how you assess the talent on your team, how you coach the talent on your team, how you develop them, and when when do you know when you should be cutting the cord on somebody on your team. So that is a four-video course that people can get for free at mike-goldman.com slash limitless. Awesome, awesome. Please be sure to check out that resource if you get a chance. And um, as always to the viewers, thank you so much for tuning in and check out if you haven't already our book love is a business strategy check out both of of mike's books when you get a chance that's the breakthrough leadership team and performance breakthrough and and mike once again thank you so much for all the insights and the wisdom today that you've shared thank you this is great all right with that we will see everybody next week everybody take care